0: Hello there, and welcome to the Dear Dyslexic podcast series, brought to you by Rethink Dyslexia, the podcast where we're breaking barriers and doing things differently. I'm Shay Wissell, your host, and I'm so glad you can join us. I'm a fellow neurodivergent, and I'm coming from the lands of the Ruwandru people of the Kulin Nation, where I live and work, and I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to all the tribes across our beautiful country and to all First Nations people listening today. Our podcast was born in 2017 out of a need to give a voice to the stories and perspectives of adults with dyslexia. And our voice has grown stronger year after year. We're now a globally listened to podcast with guests from all around the world. Join us for insightful conversations about living with dyslexia and other neurodivergences across all walks of life. Our special focus is on adult education, employment, social and emotional well-being, and entrepreneurship. We're excited to be bringing you this episode and invite you to like and follow us, or even better, why not leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform? So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dear Dyslexic podcast series. Today, I've got a fantastic colleague of mine who's joining from Texas in the US, Melvika, and we're here today to talk about uh mental health and well-being and also the launch of our new program, Our Minds Matter, which kicks off this year, which is 2024. So I think this must be our, oh my gosh, 63rd podcast we're going to release. Actually, I've lost count. <laughs> I'll have to pull up, pull up our um, podcast show as we're talking, but we're in our 60s, 60s now. So, um, and this will be the first one for 2024, people are listening in order. If not, now you know where we are in the time period, but welcome Melvika to the show. I'm so pleased that we're able to have this conversation today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me for this.
0: So Melvika, can you let, um, how did you get into supporting children and adults with dyslexia around mental health and wellbeing?
1: Sure. So uh, right now, I work as an associate professor at um, West Texas a and which is here in Texas. In 2018, I had somebody from a um, state level organization reach out to me and say, hey, we wanted you to do a presentation on mental health of parents or caregivers of children with learning disabilities. And I was like, sure, let me look into that. And that kind of gave me um, a push or a start to understand what it's like, what the mental health is like for parents, and then children, and then we connected and we started talking about adults, and then we went from there. Most of the time, um, I after after I did some research, I also did some support groups for parents, and most of the parents were had a learning disability. So they had a learning disability and they had kind of given either their child had it or somebody in their care had it. And we would talk about how that impacted their mental health as an adult. Um, And I never really thought about how it would impact somebody, an adult with learning disability, how how the transition or how um, having a learning disability impacts you as an adult until we kind of connected and we started talking about this. And then I started doing more research um, regarding that. But currently, um, I just finished data collection, we just talked about this, um, on the emotional regulation of adults with learning disabilities to under- understand what kind of emotional problems they face. Uh, because when children are diagnosed um, in a, with learning disabilities and kind of a school setting, uh, once they graduate there's no really transition plan from school to college to work that I I that I know of um, so it's important that we recognize that and kind of address it to help adults kind of transition out of school and into the world that and get to the get the jobs or the positions or the career that they want to and kind of help them with that transition.
0: Well, there's so many things we could unpack here and I'm going to try, try really hard to keep us to half an hour because my podcast always ends up going for an hour. <laughs> and I know we're going to do uh, later in the year, a uh, uh, part of our series is family dynamics. But a lot of the adults you were talking to so had they, they hadn't had the opportunity to be diagnosed yet? Was it a, a recognition after their children had been diagnosed that was most likely coming from them or were these adults that had had the opportunity to be diagnosed as well?
1: Some of them had the opportunity to be diagnosed. Some of them were suspected um, and some of them, they were confirmed once their children were confirmed. So it was more like, oh, I see that I had that as a, as a child as well. Um, most of the parents, not most, but some of the parents were aware of what learning disabilities and dyslexia was before their child started to get the diagnosis. Others had not really heard about it, had not really experienced it, had never really been diagnosed with it. But when their child got diagnosed, they it was like a light bulb.
0: Some people call it a revelation. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. Yes. A a revelation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so what were some of the, so you started out looking at how parents could support their children, but it ended up being a support I started
1: looking at how parents could support themselves while caring for a child with learning disability. And And that's where I started. That was the first thing that I started to do. From there, I went to children, Uh, with learning disabilities, and what are their, what is the impact on their mental health? And then from there, I went to, okay, there are adults here as well. How are we transitioning these children that we're looking into, into the workforce? Um, And from what I see, there isn't much, there's no transition plan. There is here in school, I'll give you these accommodations, and then you can figure it out once you go to work and that's
0: all of the work we do is around how do we support that transition period into the workplace or into higher education or we find Mm -hmm. a lot of adults coming to us because one they've been diagnosed later in life or they're just struggling to manage and to retain their job and there isn't as far as I know either there isn't any transition planning to support young people and what we're hoping to do is be able to work with schools and to be able to do that transition piece? Because I think a lot of it, and you, you're, you've you worked in the space, but what I've seen is that self-advocacy piece is really not there because we don't know how to self-advocate and we don't know how to disclose to get the support we need. Have you found that through your work?
1: That is tr- that is correct. Uh, some of the parents were working to have their children advocate for themselves. So here in the US they have, like, meetings where the Teachers would say, here is the accommodations that I can give. And then they would have the child decide what accommodations would work for them and what wouldn't and kind of verbalize that during the meeting. While there were other parents who did not really, had not really reached that point yet and weren't really working with their kids for the self-advocacy part of it. But but, but at the same time, you know, when we say, oh, you should advocate for yourself and, there is a lot of stigma with having a learning disability. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to having a learning disability. There, there are studies that have been done that say you know there's no difference in IQ for somebody with learning disability versus without learning disability but then there's so much stigma around it that people don't really want to talk about having a learning disability to anyone
0: what are there are there any strategies you talk with either your young people or parents around how we can reduce that stigma i find in australia that we don't have a lot of uh leaders or people in in their careers that are coming forward to say it's okay it feels like um the autistic community have done this really, really well of coming out and being proud of being autistic and um, asking for the accommodations they need. And we're starting to see that in Australia with ADHD as well. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people posting and talking about it, but we don't seem to have a lot of Australian leaders talking about it. So, how do we reduce the stigma? Have you have you seen any anything in the US?
1: I think there's just a lack of knowledge. People don't know uh, what learning disabilities are. My partner, who is an engineer and he does engineer stuff, he and I have talked about it a lot. And he's talked about how, you know, until we actually had a conversation, there wasn't really anything before that that he had actually learned what learning disabilities are. So there's no really conversation around it. There's no real education around it. It's just, oh, the person who has a learning disability or knows somebody that has a learning disability probably knows about it versus there are others who are completely in the dark and don't really know what learning disabilities are. A lot of times people learn from movies and there are movies out there that have depicted learning disabilities as such, some accurate, most not. But they, they've talked about it and they've tried to bring awareness for it, but I don't think that's kind of, that's worked. As you said, having leaders out there who share um, their experiences, who state the fact that I have a learning disability and this is how it impacted me. This, these are the strategies that I used. And this is what has helped. Could be so much more helpful than some movie made by some director somewhere where there there might be inaccuracies.
0: What I find is that there's a lot of famous people that have stepped forward. Mm -hmm. A lot of actors from the US and the UK, and then we've got Sir Richard Branson, which is fantastic. But I I wish we could have some people that were in different work industries to demonstrate Mm -hmm. the variety and the different contexts that we're not all artists and we're not all, um, you know, actors, that we're actually everywhere doing all different jobs and it would be great to be able to see people from all different types of fields come forward to help reduce that stigma. And we're going off on a tangent here. (laughs) But stigma impacts our mental health and wellbeing. But how did you get into this space? Because you're an ally. Is there a particular reason why you were drawn to working in learning difficulties and dyslexia?
1: I personally think that I had dyscalculia. I think that um, math was really hard for me. It just, it it wasn't something that I've ever been able to do. Luckily, um, I did my, I did it, I wasn't until 12th grade, I was in India. So I didn't have to do math after 10th grade so that kind of worked out well for me but i i could barely it was it was something that i could barely do and i really struggled with it you know almost all my life you know the i i had kind of put some pointers down that we wanted to talk about the the one of the things that one of the biggest things with stigma that comes with impacting your mental health is what your teacher or your boss or your coworker thinks about it and um it's it, it's like when you're in school and you're not able to do something and you have somebody say oh you're you it's it's not a learning disability you're just lazy or it's not a learning disability you're just i don't know if i can say that Stupid? Can I say stupid on the phone? Yes, because okay. a lot <laughs> of us have
0: been. A lot of us have been told that we've been told we're stupid yeah. and lazy and dumb, yeah. and lots of other words, descriptive words that mm-hmm. are not nice at all to you. Yeah,
1: that, that that are not nice. And when you're told that over and over again, even for an entire year, that that impacts your mental health. That impacts what you think, how you feel about yourself. And we had this conversation the last time. Uh, we met like even as adults, it impacts you, and you know you have to re- really work to not react to certain things that are said to you, or to to to, to certain um, conversations that you have because that 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 word lazy or stupid or dumb that was said to you once is still somewhere in the back of our head and it it has long term implications you know sometimes when you know i'm i'm talking to my partner something will be said and that will be a trigger which will cause me to become defensive and you know that that just and that just spirals there's no way of coming out of that in that moment that just spirals it's just really important That we understand that when you have a learning disability and when you have been called words like lazy, stupid, dumb, or any kind of names that might impact your self-esteem, that has long-term implications. It is not just, oh, I was called that now at the time, but now I'm over it. You know, if anytime somebody underestimates you, it just fuels well, any anytime somebody, I'm just I'm not going to generalize this. So anytime somebody underestimates me, it just kind of fuels the fire and be like, well, I'll show you.
0: <laughs> yes, I think that's why I've done a doctorate. <laughs> it was to, I'll show you. I'm not dumb. Even though you still have days where you can't do the most basic of things and you think, you know, really? <laughs> My family, I say, I'm the one with the doctorate now. And I'm like, but still, it still doesn't feel like it's enough. So does that reflect your childhood and your difficulties with maths? and functional math
1: skills i i think so i mean i don't do math anymore um my husband and i have this running joke where he'll ask me to do something with math and i'll like take out my calculator and i'll just do the basic thing with my uh with my calculator and then he'll just look at me and say you know Okay, I'll, I'll wait for you to figure that out. And then, like, he understands that now we used to get in, we, I used to really, we used to really get into it earlier where something would happen and he would say something and then, you know, the walls would go up and that was the end of that. But I, I think it just makes it, it's normal. That's what I want to say. When you have a learning disability and you have been called names all your life, and you have had to deal with if even if bullying at the most basic level in school outside there are triggers that impact you long term and those triggers stay with you until you actually kind of work to get help for it if you notice any kind of if and you know whoever's listening to this podcast can go and think and if they reflect on the past week What made you mad or what um, made you sad or what made you angry? You know, you can go back and you can think about it and you can recognize those triggers and you can most of the time connect them with something that's happened in the past.
0: At Rethink Dyslexia, we are doing things differently. As a global leader in creating inclusive environments for adults with dyslexia, Our commitment is to provide individuals with opportunities to live healthier, happier, and more connected lives. Through our range of tailored services, including coaching, learning and development programs, consultancy, and training, we're helping dyslexic individuals, businesses, and organizations to better understand and support their dyslexic employees. So if you're looking for insights, inspiration, and expert advice on dyslexia, and how you can provide inclusive practices and environments then head to RethinkDyslexia.com to find out more or book your free consultation today. Yeah, I think as a parent, for me, it's actually the mental overload that I feel and then having my toddler talking nonstop to me where I can't address what she's trying to say or she just won't stop. And I find that my brain can't process all that information at once and that that triggers me mm-hmm. yeah and that's so how does that make you feel I feel overwhelmed and I can't articulate myself and then I start to get frustrated with myself and then I get um annoyed at her and then I have to sit back and say to myself she's only nearly three she doesn't understand <laughs> mm-hmm. but when you're yeah. tired and you're feeling that overwhelm that can that can be a real trigger is that something your parent group talked about like when their children are doing things and they are they've got the difficulty how that can affect them as well as it in their can. Relationship.
1: So some some for some parents it was more about hey how i went through this so i will make sure that you have the best resources possible to be able to support you there were other parents who said i i don't know what it is I'm just going to rely on the teacher to see what best resources they can provide my child. And then there were some who said, "I don't know what it is. They're getting the services that they get. I'm sure it'll they'll figure it out." So there were parents on very different levels who were trying to see and and you know for some parents a lot of it is, you know, I have two kids with learning disabilities and I got to make sure that both of them get the best resources because I'm sure every parent wants that for their child. And then there, are, there were, there are some parents who were so overwhelmed with all the information that was provided to them as soon as they, their child got diagnosed with a learning disability, that was just hard to process. And that kind of, that, that again, made them, made their walls go up, made them defensive and it was hard to kind of have a conversation with someone when um, they're they're overwhelmed. They're overloaded with information. You know, you you're sitting there, you don't know what it is, and people are just throwing information at you. It's hard. I'll have to
0: um, get you to look at my book chapter because that's going back to the the school trauma and then how we react. That's what I found through my research is that a lot of adults were carrying through that trauma from those labels that they were called and that that impacted them in the workplace and then in their relationships and then how we respond. I know that I shut down. I'll either be in fight mode, terrible fight mode, or I will be in shutdown mode and I won't engage in the conversation if my brain feels Mm -hmm. overwhelmed or I feel like I've been made to feel stupid or... um, Sometimes I don't understand the context properly and so then my response isn't right, particularly if it's in an argument or a heated discussion because my brain can't process. Again, it's that overwhelm
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then that makes me really angry because I'm not artic- articulating what I'm trying to
1: say. It's hard. It's hard because you're in the middle of a conversation. You're, well, you're, you're in the middle of a heated conversation and you're, you're trying to put your point across then the other person is telling you so much and you're like I I don't I this this is my point this is what I'm saying and the other person keeps talking and you're just like yeah I, I can't do this I need I need to kind of step away and you can see
0: how parents could respond in that way whether they've been told their child's got a diagnosis or the reflection like the revelation that actually this is what I've got and I've given it to my child. I'm terrified that Ava will be dyslexic and it's because I don't want her to go through the struggles I went through and Daniel is as well, but I know that she will have all the right resources and she will be fine because I was fine at the end. But it's hard Mm -hmm. as a parent to think what if genetically I've passed on these difficulties and we're not in a world yet where those difficulties are accepted and we just can get on with it
1: yeah there's a lot of guilt that comes with parents whose kids have a diagnosis and they have a diagnosis and the kind of the diagnosis is passed down by generations where parents are like i don't i i, I gave that those struggles that my child has came from me um but but you know they'll, they'll figure it out and if if Zoe gets dyscalculia she'll she'll figure it out i'm pretty sure she's a smart cookie she knows how to She's almost two, and she is pretty good at getting what she wants. (laughs) She sounds like Ava,
0: (laughs) almost three. And now she puts her little hands on her hips. I'm like, where did she even get that from? (laughs) I'm sure I didn't put my hands on my hips. She's so smart. And, And, of course, they will be, and we'll set them up with all the tools. And I think, you know, in one way, I think how privileged and lucky am I that I can do that for my daughter. You know, there must be a lot of families you see that, you know, just rely on the school and don't have the funds and resources to get all the support that their child needs.
1: Yeah, because, you know, only in, in in the United States, one in 16 kids get the accommodation that they need. So there are 15 kids who don't really get a lot of accommodations so that 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 that's a lot of kids. Fifteen kids mm. is a lot of kids not getting the accommodations that they need to be successful in a school setting.
0: That's scary. So, out of how many children in a classroom is it around thirty or forty?
1: So, the, I think the classroom size is anywhere between twenty to thirty, and then one in five kids have a learning disability. And so a classroom of 20 will have four kids. So
0: your stats are higher. We base ours on one in ten. One in five is large, isn't it? I mean, one in ten is big.
1: Yeah, one in five is pretty large. So, mm-hmm. it's-
0: And so would that include the four kind of dises that we talk about, so dyscalculia, dysgraphia, dyslexia and dyspraxia, or are they yes. mainly dyslexic? So under the umbrella of all four.
1: All four. And then some of them do have dual diagnosis. So they'll have one and the other. And um, It's just, you know, the diagnosis process is tough. And then you get the diagnosis and then the reflection, the revelation, you know, all of that is hard. And then finally you get to the accommodations and some of them get it and some of them don't. And so you're sitting there going, okay, this is the best that we can get at this time, so we'll take it.
0: And do you see a lot of that co-occurring, so outside of the four, because I've got dysgraphia and dyslexia, mm-hmm. and like dyscalculia, it's not talked about as much. So it's really great to mm-hmm. for you um, to be talking about your dyscalculia because it's um, it's not talked about as much as it should, and the prevalence rates are really quite high. Um, do you see a lot of crossover with the outside of the learning disabilities ADHD and autism and other neurodevelopmental I
1: difficulties? I think so I think there is ADHD is pretty prevalent but sometimes ADHD can be a misdiagnosis because you know if I don't if I'm sitting in a classroom and I don't understand stuff I might act out because you told me to stand up and kind of tell you what my answer is, right? That's where I think sometimes that's where the ADHD diagnosis comes from because they're acting out or they just need to calm down or and the acting out could come from um, not wanting to be called out as lazy, dumb or stupid in the classroom setting. But autism definitely... I've seen autism more recently than before. So autism and the learning disabilities kind of more recently. But ADHD, yes, definitely.
0: Yeah, I think I've referenced 40% of those with ADHD will be dyslexic as well. And I'm pretty sure now after doing all my work with Judith, she's diagnosed me as ADHD. So at some point I'll get that assessment. But now I now the more I reflect on it, I and mean, it's really hard because you say, well, what is what is one difficulty versus what is the other? Because there's such crossover. Mm-hmm. If a child's called up in the classroom and they don't want to engage in that activity, it could be because they're feeling shame about it, rather than it being a a, a different type of reason for them not wanting to do it.
1: Definitely, and it's a a lot of it is. Um... I think a lot of it that still goes back to that stigma of teachers have the stigma, parents have the stigma, children don't want to be hauled out. So all that goes back to that.
0: I feel like we've covered a lot mm-hmm. in half an
1: hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and without unpacking too much, because I think I don't want to unpack too much because we've got our, our Minds Matters series coming uh-huh. up. But I think are there a couple of takeaways? Uh, I guess there's three cohorts we've kind of talked about. It's the children and young people that have a learning difficulty. Then it's the parents mm-hmm. who are trying to navigate that and how they support. And then there's the cohort of parents that are dyslexic themselves, or have a learning disability themselves and they're trying to support their children. So, out of yes. those three cohorts, is there one take home for each cohort, or is that too hard to talk about? And we need to wait till we run our sessions? <laughs> we can
1: we can we can do one takeaway from each sessions. I would say, uh, children and young people with learning disabilities, um, this is kind of their time to learn strategies that they could use to deal with any kind of shame or, negative feelings that comes with with the diagnosis of learning disability or when somebody calls you lazy this is the time to kind of get support and remove those labels that they've put on you as in
0: counseling support because i don't think we said that you're we didn't say that you were a counselor oh yeah No, I was just realizing I as you were talking that we haven't talked about your <laughs> extensive career in counseling and your PhD in education and counseling and, um, which is how we got connected through our research.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Texas and I am a, um, I'm a certified school counselor from Ohio. So, um, yeah so when just getting that mental health support at a younger age can be very beneficial for you to kind of recognize those triggers and not you you'll never leave it behind but be more mindful of all of that um then there's the cohort of parents of children with learning disabilities i think connecting with other parents trying to understand what um what kind of tools that are being used um, that other parents are using and kind of learning from each other. The world of learning disabilities can be very isolating, so you want to put yourself out there and get the resources and learn about the resources that you can. And the third one was? Parents that have
0: been diagnosed with a learning disability and their children have one too. What can we? Oh. What can we do? Not that Avis hasn't been diagnosed yet, so I'm not putting myself in that bracket, but what can <laughs> parents that have a learning difficulty or disability do to support mm-hmm. themselves? I think it's about supporting um, themselves.
1: Yeah, I them. think it, yeah, I think one of the best things that as a parent you can do is kind of recognize your triggers, get the help that you need to kind of recognize it. And be able to work with your child to, and both, both and if you, if as a parent, you don't do this, both you as a parent and your child can work together to learn how to advocate for yourself. So you being, you modeling that behavior for your child and the child being able to follow through with it.
0: And do you think um, focusing on, I know with my nephew, my brother and his partner really focused on my nephew's strengths. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's really good at sport. So, I mean, not all children are good at sport. I definitely wasn't. I'm sure I'm (laughs) not because I'm so poorly coordinated. I'm sure I've got all the four disses. Um, But is there something that parents can do around that strength-based approach, not just for their children but also for themselves?
1: I mean, everybody has strengths. Right. And as, as somebody who has a learning disability, you have there is an area which is either explored and you kind of stop looking into it, or there is an unexplored area that you're really good at that would work really well for you. Um like I, I'm the same way, I don't play sports, but I, I do CrossFit and I can do CrossFit like a crazy person um all day every day. And that's I like weightlifting, and I think that's kind of my strength. And that is what I use as something to help me, um, as a coping skill as well. So, so you 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 have to go out and you have to find your strength. What were what are some things that you feel you were good at that you can invest your time in? Because that the, finding those strengths help us with our self esteem as well. It makes us feel better about ourselves. And that is very important in the grand scheme of things that I like myself and I love myself. um, And I love the choices that I'm making for myself.
0: I think that's a really nice uh, message to finish on. And I'm excited that we're going to be working together this year across a number of different topics um, around coping strategies and parenting and burnout as well. I'm really excited to talk about burnout. Um, and I'd love to have you on the show to talk about dyscalculia a little bit more because we don't often get to talk about that. And it would be great to kind of unpack how that looks for you and what mm-hmm. strategies you use, because I know going through higher education, maths being so difficult for me that it's really like how you manage to get through with having to do a lot of, you would have had to do maths as well through your courses, I'm assuming.
1: In uh, I, I stopped doing math in 10th grade. So you didn't have to do because so I can in stats. I, in I all did my research, courses. but it wasn't. I I'm very good at probability. Like when it comes to mathematics, I can do probability really well. Calculus, algebra, those things were just a simple multiplication division that I couldn't do. I can do probability really well. But now when it comes to statistics, I've taken some statistics courses. Um I have had to work three times as hard as some of my colleagues to do that. But when when, when it comes to specific mathematics courses, but other than statistics courses, I haven't done math since 10th grade.
0: Well, so that's how,
1: that's how the education system works. Anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it'd be great to have you back on to talk about and you know, how does it affect you day to day. Like our dyslexia affects us, uh, definitely day to day. But I won't sidetrack. And I sidetracked us off that beautiful ending that you had to said. <laughs> but I think I've done pretty well to keeping us near to time this time. Yeah. So yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm really excited to do our Facebook Live uh in the coming weeks to talk about our first Our Minds Matters program that yep. we're running. And mm-hmm. um I'm super excited about all the potential work we're going to be doing across research and mental health. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me. And I hope you have a wonderful evening and we'll talk to you soon. See ya. Thanks Melvika. Bye. If you haven't done so already... Make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we are doing at Rethink Dyslexia. So head to rethinkdyslexia.com.au. And don't forget, if there's anything you heard today that was distressing, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. Thanks for listening and bye for now.